All right. We're going to jump right into Second Kings chapter 20. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Your word is such a light unto our path. I thank you for the guidance that it gives us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who illuminates us to the truth that is in your word. We thank you that he's here tonight to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, this is our final one with Hezekiah. And we see a weakness of the king that continued to plague him more than one time. In uh, chapter 1, or verse 1, chapter 20. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Now, that's a great word from God, isn't it? (laughs) For you shall die and not live. Now, generally, the words from God are pretty good. If you get out of line, he'll come and he'll exhort you. But usually it's with hope. You know, do this and this will, will go. And then it can be a little bit stirred. This seems like the last straw for God. He doesn't usually give a word out this, this until you have ignored other things in the past. This is not the first time he's heard this. He's ignored it. It's gotten to the point that sickness has gotten a hold of him. And he's going to die from it. And God comes in and says, yep, you're going to die. <laughs> Get yourself ready. Now, it's not that God sent the sickness because God doesn't do that. It's that Hezekiah's disobedience in this area has opened the door for sickness and disease to come in. And it's gotten hold of his life. And God is basically saying, past the point of no return. It's over. We're done. Get yourself ready. You're going to die. And at this point, he has no heir. He has no, one, no son to take over the throne. Which would be interesting. What happens to the line of David? Now, we might be able to go back there and we can still find another uh, uh, line of David and maybe make him king. But right now, Hezekiah, for this particular line, this is it. He has no son. He might have some daughters, but he has no son to take over the throne. And God doesn't apparently care. (laughs) God is not saying here, I'm going to let you get away with this because I have no one else. He's, even if he has no one else, you're dead. Get your house in order. You're going to die. But this is a very strong word. And even though we're not privy to what came before, we know from God's ways and how he does things that other stuff has occurred and Hezekiah has not paid attention to it. Then he turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Now, this is all before Isaiah gets out of the house. <clears throat> He's uh, carried on to, the, to, this, to this point, and uh, he repents with everything in him. Now, why didn't he just repent beforehand? Why is it that someone needs something this strong to turn them around? I don't, I don't know. But Hezekiah did. For all the good things that Hezekiah did, this is the, this is the bad spot of it. This is midway in his reign. You remember, it was only about 10 or 12 years ago he led a fantastic revival in the land of Judah to the point that everybody went home after that revival and got rid of idols on their own. That's how good that revival was. Hezekiah didn't force anybody. He let them all do it on their, on their own. Verse 4, And it happened before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him saying, Return, tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people. Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. 
Surely I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add to your days 15 years. So he's got 15 years added on. But he says, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. So when the word of the Lord came to him and said, you will surely die, get your house in order. Is it God's will to heal him? Apparently it is. Even though God says you're going to die, it still is God's will to heal him because he comes back and says, I will surely heal you. He wanted to, but apparently Hezekiah's disobedience in an area kept him from getting that healing. And he fixed it in repentance. And I will add to your days 15 years. I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. This tells you that this occurs after Assyria has already entered the land, attacked some cities, and has either already come up to Jerusalem or is on their way. Either the guys are already at the gate making their, their announcement or they're at Lachish and getting ready to come on up. But the attack is already underway. So according to this, I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria and I will defend this city for my own sake. So he's specifically talking about Jerusalem even though we know that from Assyria they took some of the other, most of the other cities. But he says, I will defend this city. So it seemed that after some of the other cities had fallen, before Jerusalem had fallen, that this is going to go on. So that gives us a time frame of when all this is, is occurring. Then Isaiah said, take a lump of figs. So they took and laid it on the boil and he recovered. Now what does a lump of figs have to do with the boil? I did not take the time to look up on Google to see what effect figs would have on boils. You can do that if you want to. Uh, and it might have some medicinal value. There might be some kind of a, a thing. I just didn't take the time to, to look that up and, and check that out. I was spending time on some other areas. But it's the same kind of a thing even if it's just, you know, dip in the River Jordan. Whatever God says to do, you do it. This is why we've emphasized with you how many times have we told you that when you have a physical problem, you seek after God to get wisdom on it and God will tell you, stop eating, start eating, stop drinking, start drinking, do this, do that. He'll tell you different things to do. Some of it seems to be completely unrelated. But if God is telling you, do this, don't do that, what you need to do is respond. Apparently, whatever this condition is that he has from this boil... It might be an infection they got in there, whatever it might be. It's severe, and he does not have much time left. So he cannot be sitting around here thinking, well, let me see if I want to do that. You know, Doctor, is, is that really going to do me any good to put figs on this boil? He doesn't have time for all that. So Isaiah gives him this word, and he goes ahead and he takes it. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, what is the sign that the Lord will heal me and that I shall go up to the house of the Lord the third day. And Isaiah said, this is a sign to you from the Lord and the Lord will do the thing which he has spoken. He shall, shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees or go backward 10 degrees? <clears throat> so what he's basically saying is, should the sun move forward? And we're not just talking the normal course of moving forward. We're talking about being sped up to move forward, or should it move backwards 10 degrees? 
So he says, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's not a big deal to go forward. Make it go backwards. It's an easy thing for the shadow to, to go down 10 degrees. No, but let the shadow go backward 10 degrees. So Isaiah the prophet cried out to the Lord and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backward by which it had gone down on the sundial of Ahaz. So Ahaz, his father, made a sundial. Big one, I'm sure. Put it on out there and he, they were able to go out there and to observe that the sun would move backwards this 10 degrees. And I've heard people say, you know, talk about the space program and the missing day, and then, well, I still didn't quite correct it all. And then the, I have no idea how that even comes about. To me, that's just fable that people are just making up to make the Bible sound right. But I don't know. If you get a real NASA person and a real NASA person says, no, we can go backwards and we can figure this. I don't know how you go backwards because where the sun is now, if you just kind of backwards, you're just going to, I don't see where all of a sudden it says, oh, there's, we're missing a day. I cannot get my head around that. So I don't usually, usually use that as any proof that this happened. My proof is just in the Word of God. The Word of God said that it happened, and so that's, that's all that I need. Now, verse 12. At that time, Barodak Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for you heard that Hezekiah had been sick. Now, we know about Babylon. Babylon is the next kingdom empire to come. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Babylon decides to send a letter and a present to Hezekiah. Now, after he defeats, uh, after, actually, he doesn't defeat him, but after Assyria came, they, they had parked themselves out there in Israel, 185,000 went down. The Chronicles tells us that it was the choices, the captains, the valiant men, all the best of them, 185,000 went down. So they were a much weaker army after that. But what had been going on up to this point is Babylon is trying to become a world power. Assyria is the world power. And so Babylon is looking for an ally all this time who they can ally themselves with to come against Assyria and knock them out. They have been observing what has been going on between Assyria and Israel. And Israel falls. Israel was in league with Syria, and that league did not come against the Syria and knock them out. Then Egypt and Judah come into a, an agreement, and they're kind of watching this and seeing what's going on. They're trying to find somebody who will partner with them to come against the Syria. I don't think they really thought Egypt and Judah together were going to knock out Assyria, but they're watching this, and maybe if they piled up with them, they could knock Assyria out. So they're, they're watching all this, and then all of a sudden, Assyria loses 185,000 and marches on home in defeat, or with their head between their legs, so to speak. So uh, they saw this, and then what is it that the Babylonians do better than anyone else? They watch the stars. If the sun goes backwards 10 degrees, who of all people is going to observe this? The Babylonians. This got their attention. And it didn't take a whole lot of asking around to figure out what happened to the sun. The sun moved backwards 10 degrees. I've never seen anything like The sun does not move backwards. How did the sun move backwards 10 degrees? So they begin to asking around and it comes back. Hezekiah's God gave that to him as a sign that he would be healed. And then the defeat of Assyria came. And they said, oh, who is this Hezekiah 
who has this God that can move the sun. So they come on down for the purpose of finding out what they're up against. Because their goal is to become a world power. And Assyria has just become substantially weakened. And they're glad about that. They bring Hezekiah a gift like other countries did as well. Because they came down to... I mean, Judah didn't go out to battle, but they came down to Judah and they left Judah without conquering them and a whole lot weaker and never came out to conquer anybody after that. So all the other nations said, glory to God, so to speak. <laughs> We're not going to fall to Assyria. We're not going to get deported to another place. And so they're all glad and they all came and they brought gifts over to Hezekiah. We read about that in the, the last time. So Babylon is coming. They found out that other countries are coming to, uh, to bring gifts. Let's go and bring him a gift too. And so they come and they bring a gift and uh, he is very hospitable with them. Let's see what it is that he does. Again, it was said at that time. This is the time that all this had gone on with the sickness, with Assyria being defeated. And Hezekiah was attentive to them and showed them all the house of his treasures, the silver and gold, the spices and precious ointment and all his armory, all that was found among his treasures. There was nothing in his house or in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. Now, here's a question I would have for you. He had all this battle with the king of Assyria. We saw the tribute money he was sending to Assyria. We saw that he decided to rebel against Assyria. And then Assyria came down and he repented of that because he saw he was losing. So he gave them this huge payment in which he had to go in and strip off the gold out of the house of God, take all the silver, take all the stuff out of his house, tax the people to come up with this huge payment and they sent all this over. So they're, they got nothing. That's with the battle of Assyria. Then Assyria goes home, but he repents because the prophet had told him. And so he repents. Probably this whole thing that happened with him and the, and the bed thing. Because God does not like it when you start making alliances with other nations instead of trusting him. People have died for such things. And it seemed like Hezekiah was going to be much, much in that area. So all this goes on. He loses all that money. All that payment. All the cities had been conquered by the king of Assyria, which means they would have taken the stuff out of the cities. Anything valuable. The only cities that were not taken, of note anyway, was Lachish and Jerusalem. But the other cities were taken. So all that stuff is gone. Where are these great riches? So what that tells us is all the gifts that people brought from other countries, being grateful that Assyria is gone, were this fantastic. There's not just a little you know, gift card to the Walmart. <laughs> These were huge gifts and their gratitude was such that we don't have to face Assyria anymore. We don't have to go to war against Assyria. We don't have to be threatened by Assyria anymore. They were very grateful and they brought these huge gifts so that by the time Babylon came, which was not very long, they, he has enough treasures that he shows them off. You don't show off nothing. You don't become a king, some great king, and say, well, I got this little treasure room over here. <laughs> a couple of gift cards to Walmart. A couple of, that's, that's not what they, they got gold. They got silver. They got precious things. All this is what people brought to them in a short amount of time. So Hezekiah goes from basically nothing to a, 
a, a treasury that he can show off to the Babylonians. And the Babylonian empire, I mean, they go out and they conquer and they get a lot more, but they're not a poor empire. They're one of the richest. Remember, they're the head of gold. They are one of the richest of all of them. So they come on out and apparently they're impressed with what he's got. But he shows everything to them. There was nothing in his house or in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. You've got this band from this far country. That's how he describes it. Who come on out and he shows them all his house. He shows him all the stuff in the house. He shows him all his domain. What do you think about that, boys? Very impressive. Yeah, we like that. We like that. Uh huh. Very good. How many of y'all remember watching um, Home Alone? Home Alone was a funny movie. It was a, it was an interesting movie. It was kind of good. Remember the uh, the bandits, posed as police officers, and they come into the house. What was their purpose for coming into the house? See if it's worthwhile breaking into to steal the stuff that they have. Posed as police officers, they were very nice to the people that were there. The people were very nice to them. In fact, because they were police officers, they actually just left them alone for a little while while they went back there to take care of And he's looking around, checking all the things out, seeing what, yeah, yeah, they got a lot of stuff in there. We want this house. That's what they decide. So the Babylonians come in. They get to see it all. And they're going home and they're going to say what? We want to come back here. Mm -hmm. This is one of the places we're going to come. And we're going to take their stuff. They got lots of stuff. They got lots of good stuff. And uh, we don't mind bringing them a present because when we come back, we're going to take it back. <laughs> and they're planning on coming back. They're planning on being world, running the world. They've already got plans to do so. They were already trying to figure out how to take down Assyria. Verse 14, Then Isaiah the prophet went to, the king, went to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say? And from where did they come to you? So Hezekiah said, They came from a far country, from Babylon. Look at the question. What did these men say and from where did they come to you? Did he answer his questions? No. He did not. He answered one question. They came from a far country. How do you know they're from a far country? Well, they said so. Think of the history of Israel. Back in the book of, Josh, of uh, Joshua. We've come from a Far country. <laughs> right? All you got to do is read the word. And you know when they say that we are from a far country, we're probably not that far away. <laughs> now they are further than the folks over in Josiah, or, I'm sorry, that Joshua saw, but they aren't that far. We're from a far country. Probably never even heard of us. Probably never even heard about this one. Mm-mm. What did these men say? So we kind of bypass this one. And from where did they come to you? They came from a far country, from Babylon. And he said, what have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. Now, if you turn over to Second Chronicles 32, verse 27... Take a look at what they saw. Hezekiah had very great riches and honor. Isn't that interesting? The Bible classifies what he has regained 
as very great riches and honor. And he made himself treasuries for silver, for gold, for precious stones, for spices, for shields, and for all kinds of desirable items. You don't need treasuries if you don't have a whole lot. I'm sorry. Second Chronicles 32, 27. Very great riches and honor, it says. And he made himself treasuries. I got a treasury for silver. I got a treasury for gold. I got a treasury for precious stones. I have a treasury for spices. I have one just for shields. And for all kinds of desirable items. Storehouses for the harvest of grain, wine, and oil. And stalls for all kinds of livestock. And folds for flocks. Moreover, he provided cities for himself. And possessions of flocks and herds in abundance. For God had given him very much property. That's after he lost all the stuff. This same Hezekiah also stopped the water outlet of Upper Gihon and brought the water by tunnel to the west side of the city of David. Hezekiah, Hezekiah prospered in all his works. Wouldn't you say that he had prospered? Mm -hmm. However, regarding the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon, whom they sent to him to inquire about the wonder that was done in the land, God withdrew from him in order to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. So when these Babylonians come to call, God stands back. Why is it that Isaiah doesn't come until after they leave? Because it says, after they go, Isaiah comes into the door. Which means Isaiah is standing outside there waiting for the ambassadors to come in, talk with him, and then leave. Why doesn't he come in earlier and say, hey, the ambassadors are coming from Babylon. Don't show them anything. Why not give them a warning? Because God is going to say, <clears throat> I'm going to stand back on this one. Let's see what's in his heart. And what was in his heart? Look what I got. <clears throat> I got gold. I got silver. I got precious stones. And, you know, Assyria took all this stuff from me. And just in a like, uh, little bit of time, I got it all back. Look at all this stuff that's here. He may or may not even have mentioned that God gave it to him. I don't know. You know he knows they're not God-fearing people. Babylon is not a God-fearing nation. Why talk to him? About, he might be thinking, why talk to him about a God that they don't serve? <clears throat> don't know what happened. But what we do know is that God stood by the wayside. Probably told Isaiah, Isaiah, don't say anything. You wait right there. We're going to watch. We're going to see. Now, when is it, when you, if you have little kids, when do you stand by and watch? When you know what they're going to do. When you have an expectation of what they're... You say, hold on a minute. Let's see what they do. I know to watch because I know what they've done in these situations before. But let's just see if they're obedient. Let's just see if they can be trusted. Right? And then that's what we do. They've been in this situation before and they haven't done so well. So now... I know they're in this situation now, but I'm here to watch. Let's just see what happens. Let's see what they do. You know, if the mom sees it, she may put the hand up. Wait a minute, Dad. Wait a minute. And so then Dad may stay back, and we're just kind of watching. And seeing what happens. Do they run out into the street? Do they climb that thing they're not supposed to climb by themselves? What is it that they're going to do? Why does God do that? The only possible explanation I can have is because 
Hezekiah has done this before, has probably repented of it. And God is saying, let's see if he does it again. And what do we have in the word of God that he repented of? Turned his face to the wall and he repented. Doesn't tell us what he repented of, does it? But if this is the situation that God wants to observe, what is the underlying cause that would get you to take total strangers from a completely different country, and you know countries go to war for stuff like this, to bring them into your place and show off all your treasures? Pride would be my first thing. That Hezekiah has had a battle with pride. And that's what got him into trouble. That's what got him to almost die. That's what got him into these places before. That's what gave the, the key for Assyria to come in. And this is the guy who touched off an incredibly great revival. His heart was that uh, sold out to God. And in 10, 12 years, pride had gotten such a hold of him that God says, I am done with you. You're going to die. And I'm not doing anything about it. What do you have to do to get into that place? And so now that's all past. He's repented of it. And here's an opportunity again. And God says, Isaiah, don't go in just yet. I know you know what's coming. But don't go in just yet. Let's watch and see what he does. And after they leave, who were they? He knows exactly who they were. God told him who they were. He gave him a word about this whole thing. He knows exactly what they were. And the whole thing that set this, really set this up, was the sign of him being healed. That's probably something that got the attention of the, of the Babylonians more so than anything else. What God can move the sun. So, then we have a word. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. He's had this the whole time. He's not just getting this now. He already had it. God says, I'm, I'm, this is, We'll have to wait to get to heaven to find this out. But I think what happened, Here's a word from God. If he goes this way, give it to him. So, he goes in there and he even asks him, What happened? I showed him everything. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, then hear the word of the Lord. This is what he said. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. That's not a very good word, is it? How many of you would get excited over a word like that? So do you get the idea that God is not pleased with what's going on here? So what is it that caused God to not be pleased? For that, we're going to go back over to 2 Chronicles chapter 32, and verse 24. 2 Chronicles 32, verse 24. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death, and he prayed to the Lord, and he spoke to him and gave him a sign. That's done, right? So the repentance has happened. God gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not repay according to the favor shown him. For his heart was lifted up 
therefore wrath was looming over him and over Judah and Jerusalem. When was wrath looming over Judah and Jerusalem? When the Assyrians were there. And, that, and, that, and that's when it was? Not when the Babylonians are there. It's all past. When the Assyrians are there, wrath was looming over him and over Judah and Jerusalem. Why? Because his heart was lifted up. So pride brought on the situation where God was to get your house in order. And pride comes up again afterwards to the point that has, a, this is, remember the, the repentance occurs somewhere along the days when Assyria is roaming around the land, hasn't quite come to conquer Jerusalem yet, maybe fighting against Lachish, but other cities had fallen. And somehow he gets prideful. Well, God healed me. God gave me 15 more years. I got 15 more years. God said I have 15 more years. He gave me a fantastic sign. No one else did he give a sign to that, that he moved the sun backwards. I can't die for 15 years. I don't care what the king of Assyria can do. He can't kill me. I cannot die for 15 years. Can you see that kind of an attitude coming up? This is what it says. It says his heart was lifted up. It was lifted up over something. And wrath was looming over him and over Judah and Jerusalem. Then Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart. So he humbles himself again for the pride of his heart. He and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. So what happens is, he repents and God spares his life, gets prideful. The king of Assyria doesn't go anywhere. But deliverance is promised. He said, I'll deliver. God said, I'll deliver. Then he say that in the word? I will deliver Jerusalem. So he's, he's walking around pretty puffed up. God said he's going to deliver. I'm going to live. Nothing can happen. He's getting puffed up by this. But it's still crowded in more and more and more. And Assyria is taking more and more of the cities. Or the surrounding them. All this stuff comes in. So he got himself right again. And by the time we find that situation at the, at the gate, probably he's already repented of it again. Got in Israel, or all of Israel, on board with the two. And that's when the deliverance comes. And that's when everything gets, gets uh, cut loose and, and good things happen. And then the Babylonians are dispatched. And what's he doing now? He's back in the pride. Pride got him in trouble where he almost died. Pride got him in trouble where the city was surrounded. People in the nation died. He's still dealing with pride. So the problem that keeps coming up in Hezekiah's life is pride. 2 Kings 20, verse 19. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. Really? The word of the Lord you have spoken is good? For he said, Will there not be peace and truth, at least in my days? So he said, All right, it's not happening for me. It's going to be somebody else's trouble. Whose? His son. He has left a mess for his son, and he doesn't care. Not going to happen in my days. <laughs> That's a good word. I like that word. All right. Doom and destruction will happen, but not in my days. Does that sound like a guy who has got a bit of a pride problem? It's all about 
It's all about me. It is all about me. Verse 20. Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah, all his might, and how he made a pool and a tunnel and brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Hezekiah rested with his fathers and Manasseh, his son, reigned in his place. And if you're up on Facebook, I put one of the pictures. There's a whole lot of pictures of the tunnels that he, that he had uh, put down in there. I just put up one of, the, one of the pictures of the sections of the tunnel. But Hezekiah has got a big pride problem. And it, he keeps dealing with it. He keeps dealing with it again and again. The Word of God says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So he goes from being prideful to humble. Then back to prideful. Then back to humble. Then back to prideful. Then back to humble. And every time he keeps going to the extreme side of the prideful, disaster comes. The city, gets, the, the nation gets attacked. The city is under siege. Doom. Destruction all around. Then Babylonians come. How you doing? We're your friends from a far away land. Oh, come on in and see all the great riches that I have. So if pride can so easily set in to a guy who is as great of a king as Hezekiah, and the Word of God has a lot of good things to say about him, we've got to understand that pride can be a problem for us too. So we gave you this. Just gave you the acronym so you can remember it a little bit easier. Ice caps. Because that's all I could do. <laughs> I worked on this for a little while with the, the, the things were. I uh, came up with my own list. I came up with about five things that were real sure signs for, for pride. And then after that, I said, you know what? I'll bet you there's a bunch of stuff on the Internet about that. So I did a search on the Internet to find out, and I read some neat little things. Um, if you do your own search, you can come up with some. They had some nice little commentary. I didn't take all the different things. I mean, some of them had seven, some of them had five, some of them had 14, some of them had 20-something. And uh, all very interesting. But I took two from some of those lists and added to the five that I already had. Do I have the same problem? Here's seven things that you can look at. This is not exhaustive. There's other, th- other things that you can fall into that can cause a problem. But these seven will help you spot. Because if I have the same pride problem that Hezekiah does, and Hezekiah doesn't realize it's a problem, I've got to make sure that I get rid of it. Hezekiah's pride problem, when we encounter the first time when he's about ready to die, caused him to not receive any of the warning signs that God had sent him. Now, remember we gave you the things on Sunday morning about uh, what God does for correction? The first off, there's the general correction. will give you light in the Word of God, and you, you can judge yourself. Secondly, someone else comes along and helps you out with that judging. Third is a rebuke. Generally, that's a little bit more public. More people are, are made aware. It's not just between you and God anymore. And then finally, it is subtraction. Hezekiah had gotten up to the subtraction part, but the part that was being subtracted was his life. His life was going to go. So here's the first thing. Incrimination. Fault finding, I put in the the side here. People who are in pride continually find fault with others. What is especially true is that people who are in pride particularly find fault with not only with certain individuals, ones that they don't like, ones that they don't get along with, ones who rub them the wrong way, they also do so with groups. They will put whole groups into, and we saw this in the 60s when we saw the racial wars and the things that were going on, that whole groups of people were categorized as white 
were categorized as black. And just because you were in that group, you were hated by folks in the other group. Why? Because each group was puffed up with pride. Even today, we see that whole thing that came out with the Black Lives Matter. And if anybody came up and said all lives matter in that group, they got angry to the point they wanted to kill somebody. Some of them. That's wrong. That's not right. You cannot, but that's what pride does. Pride gets you so geared up for the people that are in your group, whether it's a group by, by skin color, whether it's a group by race, whether it's a group, whatever the group is, is made up of. It could be people who, not, who like to knit. It could, be, it could be people who go to a certain school. You know, temple people might dislike Villanova people. <laughs> Something like that. But um, it's whatever the, whatever the group association is, pride gets us to the point where we hate everyone in that group because they are in that group. Incrimination. Fault finding. I find fault with you because you are a member of this group. I find fault with you because, because I don't like you. No matter what you do, everything is wrong. That's pride. If we find that I keep finding fault with the same people, I am in pride. That's a, that's a, that's a sign. If the same people, how many got people over work? A couple of people rubbed you the wrong way. And no matter what, they walk in, they're at fault. Right? You, no matter what they do, can't believe how many times they went out and got coffee. Isn't that like the third time they went to the bathroom in the last hour? <laughs> and we're observing all these things. We're continually finding fault with them. But if it's someone that you like and they went to the bathroom three times an hour, oh, I hope they're feeling okay. <laughs> oh, maybe, I wonder if they got a little... See, because I don't, I don't have pride towards that, but I got a, pride is up against this one. That's a warning sign for me. has nothing to do with them. It's a warning sign for me. Incrimination. That's the first one. Here's the second one. Correction. We are offended if we receive it, and we are offensive when we give it. If you are in pride and someone comes to correct you, you get offended. And if you give out correction, you do it in the most offensive manner possible. You say things, you do things, you speak in ways, I don't care whether they get mad at me, I'm just going to say it. Pride. That's what it is. Pride gives signs. There are, there are signs that this will go on. We've had this before. We've had people in certain ministries. And you, you try and work through people. How many of y'all know people get in ministries, people start, they, they, they get problems. Sometimes pride comes up in people and you try and deal with it. But every once in a while we run into times when that pride is coming up and they are not just having problems themselves, they are disrupting everybody in the ministry that they're in. We've had this sometimes in some very public ministries, some ones that are not as public, but it's tougher when it's in public ones. And, and you try and give correction, and it's not received. Or people get offended. There was a, one time we were having a problem with uh, two people in the, in the particular ministry, and they just were going after each other in church. 
going after each other. On the, on the thing. One time it, it happened. I came over on a Sunday morning getting ready to teach. And I thought, man, what's going on? I'm thinking, I must not have prayed very much. Did I pray less? It, what's going I, I just don't feel any of that anointing. It just feels like it's all gone. I mean, what's going on? I'm kicking myself. I'm thinking, why am I? Why? What did I not do? Father, do I, do I have the wrong message? Did I seek after you and I get the wrong thing? I mean, I'm trying to figure out. I get up there. Well, that's all I got to teach. I taught it. It felt like it was flat. I'm getting on my case. I said, God, I, I wasn't prepared. What was going on in this thing? And I found out later there was this huge blow up. That happened before I even came on over. <laughs> and there was some, some loud talking that had gone on. And, oh, that's what's going on. We can't have that. And so we set out to get some things to get that taken care of. And so what, I was, uh, what we were going to do, well, let's just have these folks that have this, this thing. We'll get them to, to switch positions. And then they can t- test each other out and see what's going on. And um, the, the one person said, all right, let's do it. And the other person said, nothing. Never saw him again. That's it. Never gave me an explanation. Just said, uh, I heard that the, the, the response was, oh, that's stupid. Well, that's pride. Now, you, know, I, I, you hate to tell always do. I always know whenever I deal with somebody who has gotten absorbed by pride, most of the time, they resist all correction and they leave. Most every time. That's what happens. I got, I got a lot of years. Of, I got three decades of history on that. Goes up beyond this church. Goes to the other ones too. We had people in the church I was at before. We had people in pride. We had a church secretary caught up in pride, thought she could run the church. And we had to deal with that. And no one else knew it. No one else knew what was going on. You, you, you deal with pride. It's tough. Correction, they are offended if they receive it, and they are offensive when we give it. Listen to your words if you offer correction to someone. Do you treat them like they're stupid? Like an idiot? Where's the love? How does God say to correct them? Correct them in such a manner that you too could fall to it. But we don't do it because we're in pride. Exaltation. Self-praise. They build themselves up in front of everyone. They talk about themselves in a really good way. They promote themselves. My grandfather used to always say this. After he heard somebody say something kind of boastful. He said, well, if you don't blow your own horn, no one else will. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We, get out, we, we start talking. Boy, those folks are lucky to have me. <laughs> right? You, got the, you, you get into pride and you get over in the job and that job is just not treating you right. Those folks don't know how. This place is going to fall apart if I leave. <laughs> That's what we say. If you are saying things like that for whatever it is that you are involved with, guess what? You are in pride. And if you don't fix it, God's going to deal with you the same way he dealt with Hezekiah. You've got to fix it. It's imperative. It's important for your very life many times. Exaltation, self-praise. Here's the, the next one. Compensation. 
What we receive is usually less than we deserve. That's all they do for me. All I got was a thank you. I think I deserve more than a thank you. No one appreciates what it is that I'm doing. No one says anything about what it is that I'm doing. And these kind of thoughts are going in. You know what it's feeding? Pride. You keep entertaining those thoughts, pride is just going to keep getting puffed up and puffed up and puffed up and puffed up. Doesn't matter what anyone says. Doesn't matter if anyone says thank you. You do what God has told you to do because God has told you to do it. Amen. Compensation. Here's the other one. Aggression. This is one I pulled from that list that I pulled off the internet. I put the word aggression and they didn't put that in there. I put the word aggression in there because it fit better. <laughs> i just tell you what it is. <laughs> it fit better. They put it in there this way, a harsh spirit. A person in pride has a harsh spirit. Every time you talk to them, they come back with something harsh. They come back. If you try and tell them, isn't it a good day? Well, I can think of days that have been better than this. What do you mean it's a good day? How can you see this as a good day? No matter what it is that you say to them, it comes back with something harsh. Why? Because that person is filled with pride. There's no appreciation for the things that people have done, are doing. They're aggressive in everything. They're always looking, always looking, always something out there. It's just a harsh spirit on the inside. If you keep finding yourself giving a harsh answer, if there's always harshness in you, there is pride at work and it's very strong and you need to fix it. Because if you don't, God will. Remember the steps. You heard from the word, you didn't make the correction. You heard on an individual basis, still didn't make the correction. Got rebuked, still didn't make the correction. Now, subtraction. Things are going to go away. Here's the other one. Possession. You got to be careful in this. I, I, I learned this one from uh, Brother Keith Moore. Brother Keith Moore. Brother Keith Moore always talked about, you know, he, he would say things like, I'm proud of my kids. Talk about people. He, didn't, he won't say that. But he would say things like, I'm proud of my kids. He said, well, you're proud of your kids. Because they're my kids. Because it's, you're proud of your car. Because it's my car. I'm proud of my house because it's my house. I'm proud to be an American because it's my country. There's possession that's in there. And here's why this is a problem. Because we have switched from things being God's to things being mine. And we've got to be real careful with this. We can get into the thing and suddenly it's my ministry. I've had this for, I don't know, decades, I'm pretty sure. It just, it crawls in me every time I hear, and I know they don't generally mean it this way. It's just one of those early warning signs that, that you know, the, the um, lost in space robot. Danger, danger Will Robinson, danger. <laughs> I, that's just going off inside me every time I hear somebody get up and they talk about, well, in my ministry. It's like, oh, no. I, you've never heard me use that, that term. I, I, don't, I don't think it's the right term. I don't think it's the right term. It's not my ministry. It's a calling that God has given each one of us to fulfill. It's God's calling. 
It's God's ministry. It's God's church. It's God's, it's God's people. You look at um, you look in the area of possession. And how, how easy is it for us to disassociate your people? Right? <laughs> your, they're your people. Not my people. I'm done with them. <laughs> but when we're glad about it, it's my people. <laughs> they're mine. <laughs> this, is, this is mine. We've got to be careful about it. Even when we look at Sunday morning. I, I've told you this over and over again. There, I don't have my time on a Sunday morning. It is not 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock is my time. If we have the worship team and the worship team is going on and worship team is ministering some things, if Brother Jolly, if Brother Naz gets up <clears throat> in the offering and they have time to, to minister and they go over into the 11 o'clock, it's not, well, you're infringing on my time. No, I can't do my teaching for the things that I wanted to get across to my people. That's wrong. Can you hear the pride that's in that? So that's where we have to be careful of the possession. Because possession is showing us I got some pride going on. Look at Hezekiah. That's a good word. That's a good word. I like that word because it's not happening during my time. (laughs) It's not happening during my reign. It's going to be somebody else's reign, not mine. (laughs) That's a good word. I like that word. (laughs) Possession. We've got to be careful about it. You will see this mine, mine, mine. It's like that, um, uh, have you seen Nemo? Yeah. Think of the seagulls. Mm-hmm. Mine, 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 mine. Love that scene. That is just, a, <laughs> that is a, that's an awesome one right there. But just, just think seagulls. Seagulls, pride. <laughs> Don't be a seagull. Be a pelican in that particular instance in there trying to, to help out the poor little fish that are on the dock. The pelicans over there trying to help them out. The seagulls are mine, mine. Possession is a signal of pride. Got to be careful of that. Here's the last one, suspicion. Constantly challenging the motives of others and in their minds entertain thoughts of suspicion towards others and other groups of people. I am always suspicious. As soon as I walk into a situation, why did they look at me that way? Did you hear what they said? They were picking on my suit. They were picking on my hair. They were picking on the way I talk. Did you hear that? I heard it. And we got to be careful about this. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4, 5, and 6. Love does not seek its own. It thinks the best of others. Not certain others. All others. If I have some people that I am suspicious of and other people that I am not, I am in pride. And people who haven't measured up to my standard to my way of thinking, to my way of doing things, I will be suspicious of. You've got to be careful of that suspicion. Saul fell into this suspiciousness and was constantly suspicious, especially of good people. He became suspicious of David. He became suspicious of Jonathan, his son. 
he became suspicious of other people. And these were good people. These were people to help him in the call to deliver Israel. But he became suspicious of them. Separation came in. We've got to be careful of these kind of things. These are all elements of pride. If you have one of them, you have got pride and you better deal with it. If you've got more than one, alarms should be going off. You have got to fix it. Because if you don't, subtraction will come. And I'll tell you what, it is not good when God takes something away. It's painful. It hurts. But it can be avoided. Right here, Hezekiah avoided it how many times? Repent. He repented. He was crying. He was wailing. Before God even got it, let his prophet get out of the parking lot. He sent him back. Tell him I heard him. I will heal him. Heal him. I will deliver the city. Tell him I'll do that. There is none of us that are above this. We all have to realize it can happen. I can fall victim to pride. As much as I've known about it, as, as incredible relationship I had with God, it can go away quick and pride will eat it up. Because the Word of God says that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. I think there is no story in the entire Bible that shows it as clearly as this. Because you have the prophet who comes in and says, get your house in order, you're going to die. Is that a resistant God? Before the prophet gets out of the parking lot, he's sent back in. I will surely heal you. And I'll deliver the city. Is that a God of grace? Yeah. Resistance, grace. That's how quick it can change. God loves to pour out grace. But if we keep being suspicious, if we keep being possessive, if we keep resisting correction, if we keep all these things going on in our life, we are feeding pride. And once it starts to be fed, oh, I'll tell you what, it goes off the charts in no time at all. Boy, does it begin to pick up. You've got to be on guard against it. You've got to stop those thoughts from coming in. The devil does fiery darts. His whole goal is put a thought into your head. So he will feed you with prideful thoughts. And if you entertain them, pride will just soar. It will get worse and worse and worse till eventually you will die. Don't let it. Don't have to be that way. Just as quick as you fell into it, not how long it took you to fall into it, how quick does God show that you can get out? Amen. But remember, God stood back on the side. Let's see what he does. Here's a situation for him. This is an opportunity for his pride to shine forth or his humility. Let's see which way he goes. And which way did he go? The way of pride. So much so that even when the prophet gives the, the word, oh, good, it's not happening in my days. <laughs> oh, this is good. This is good. We're going to be all right. That's how bad things have gotten for Hezekiah. Don't let it get that way for you. These are some of the warning signs. There are some other ones. I think these are the biggest ones. But there's some other ones that you can tack on there as well. But if you, got the, if you get clear of these seven, you're probably okay. But you've got to be careful. The devil does not pull you into pride for evil things. He pulls you into pride for godly things, for ministry things, for things that seem like they have a good outcome. 
He will pull you into pride for those things. Because you won't fall into pride for sinful things. But you will for ministry. And once he gets you into pride for ministry things, then he can start getting you into pride for things that are not ministry things. How do you think the Pharisees got to the point where they were? They are full of pride. And they're not even about, they're about, how can we kill them? You know, how can we take them out back and just kill them? How can we do that? Tell you what, it's not good for him to heal people on the Sabbath, but on the Sabbath, we can plot how we're going to kill him. We can do that. How much pride do you have to be in that you can think that's okay? They had gotten completely out. It started off in ministry areas, but now they're not even in ministry areas. They're just in the prideful areas to keep their power and to keep their reputation up amongst the people. That's it. But it won't start out there. The devil knows that's not bait for you. What's bait is to get you prideful about whatever it is that God has gifted you in. Don't get prideful. Father, I thank you for the help that you give us. You give us warning signs. You give us evidence. You give us things to look for because you don't want us to get off. You don't want us to fall by the wayside. Thank you, Father, for your word that you included aspects of even a great king like Hezekiah. You included aspects of his life to show us what can happen so that we can avoid it. Help us, Father, to avoid all semblance of pride that we just eradicate it from our life, from our thoughts, that all of your children, Father, we will love them, we will care for them, we will develop them, we will help them to walk into what you want them to go into. Give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.